You're listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast for Tuesday, July the 11th. I'm your host, Ari Shapiro, and we're at the All-Star break getting ready for what will be a great exhibition display of baseball talent to help us deal with the fact that the Blue Jays hit the All-Star break in pretty bad shape. But all hope is not lost. This is the reason why you play 162 games and also the reason why fans in particular should be paying close attention to what management is planning to do over the next few weeks. Joining me on the show shortly will be podcaster Brent Cardi of The Cardi Show and Norman James of CTV News, excellent host across Canada who's been in the business for quite a while. We're going to talk baseball. We're going to talk a little bit of journalism. We're going to talk about what's on everyone's mind moving forward. Looking across some of the news right now that's trending in baseball, a couple of interesting articles caught my eye. The first was Miguel Cabrera pleading for his family's safety uh, given the turmoil across Venezuela. You know, sometimes we forget in the sport of baseball that many of these players come from all places in the world, every place imaginable. And some places that as Canadians we sometimes forget are not nearly as safe and certainly not as prosperous. And in Miggy's case, he's got some real challenges because there are family members whose health is at stake. And it's a powerless feeling when you're this, when you're this famous baseball player making millions and millions of dollars and your native country is in turmoil. Also in the news, of course, was Aaron Judge winning the home run derby and being proclaimed by Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, as the face of baseball or the potential face of baseball. Regardless of how he spun it, my question is, when did Mike Trout become Swiss cheese? I mean, I understand he's not the most charismatic or photogenic superstar that you'll find, but he's certainly one that I would have assumed would be the one that baseball would be throwing its hat in to push and generate as truly being what he is, the best player in baseball. But Aaron Judge is so mercurial in what he's doing right now and so charismatic in how he's accomplishing it that I fear that that's what happens when you play for the New York Yankees and you end up being an absolute stud. I mean, not only has he broken records left, right, and center, franchise records. Remember, we are talking about the Bronx Bombers, so I'm talking about Joe DiMaggio's record for rookie home runs, which he's shattered and will end up finishing probably with 40, 45 home runs, maybe even more, who knows? Depends on how pitchers choose to face him during the second half. But there's also the fact that he clearly is someone that, as a baseball fan, maybe someone who's new to the game, you're just going to be absolutely drawn to. A very, very special player. And then also an interesting article showed up on my feed related to possible All-Stars who might be traded by the deadline. And Justin Smoke's name is starting to gain some traction. And I know some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, that's absolutely impossible. He's got such a great friendly deal and he's making so little and he's giving us so much value. Well, maybe that's precisely the reason why the Blue Jays should seriously entertain getting value. Again, with maybe a New York Yankees team that could use a smoke at first base, given some of the challenges they've had, and take the kind of prospects which can allow them to develop even quicker. But I digress. I don't want to start veering off on that direction. Let's bring on our guests and see what they have to say for your entertainment this evening. So as I mentioned earlier... My first guest today, Brent Cardi, is someone who knows a little bit about the Toronto Blue Jays and has a really popular podcast in his own right. Brent, thanks for coming on the show this afternoon. I appreciate you having me, Ari. Big fan. Thank you. 
Well, Brent, I'm also a fan because I know that you love getting down to the brass tacks about the Blue Jays. And I want to ask you, what are your thoughts about their representation this year at the All-Star Game? You know, in a season that's been filled with a lot of uh, ups and downs, now lately a little bit more negative news, it's always important to highlight the positive news related to the team. What are your thoughts about the Blue Jays' representatives this year? And what should fans be aware of that might be different from previous years where they had sent All-Stars to the Midsummer Classic? Well, I think if you uh, asked me five months ago and, uh, you know, if Justin Smoke would go to the All-Star game, I would probably tell you that you're out to lunch or something like that. But he's just been phenomenal. The question you got to ask yourself is where would this team be without the contribution of Justin Smoke? And also, uh, I mean, where would this team be without Roberto Osuna? Osuna has been phenomenal this year. Uh, after the rough start, after the rough WBC, he's just been lights out. Uh, you know, sometimes going for back-to-back-to-back uh, back back days. And, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, Ari, I'm not a big fan of the All-Star game anymore. I think it's more geared towards the kids. Um, but, you know, this is a great accomplishment for Justin Smoke. It's well-deserved. And uh, same for Osuna. Osuna's going to be a great pitcher for a long time, whether he's a closer, whether he's going to, you know, start. I always felt that he's always had Mariano Rivera-like stuff. So, I mean, this is great for these two gentlemen. As far as past representations, I mean, you always have Bautista and Donaldson, obviously Encarnacion with the Indians. But, uh, you know, let's, let's face the facts. Bautista hasn't been consistent this year. Donaldson's been injured. He's had that cold slump. Looks like he's turning it around. Uh, we'll see what happens after the All-Star break. But, I mean, it's well-deserved for smoking Osuna. Are you a little bit concerned, Brent, that in previous years the Blue Jays had especially the last few years in particular, they've had sizable representation, usually three, four players, an indication that the team is doing well collectively. Is there a correlation between the fact that having Smoke and Asuna, given the kinds of players that they are this year, should that be a concern for Blue Jays fans, realizing that a lot of players that maybe who were relied upon to have all-star seasons have failed miserably in that regard? You know, I don't think it should be a concern. You know, I'm actually kind of, dare I say, happy about it. It gives the guys four days off to clear their mind of baseball, come back, and you know what, have a great second half. I mean, look, last year Michael Saunders at the All-Star game, and really, what did it do for him besides nothing? Um, You know, so, I mean, this will be an opportunity for the guys to get their heads together, get away from the game for a bit. It's kind of one of those things I like to do during the All-Star break, too. Uh, I work a lot of afternoon shifts. I'm always listening to the games on the radio. And, uh, you know, just get away from the game, come back, and, you know, start winning some games. You know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. It's kind of a controversial take, but I wasn't very happy when the media started asking Justin Smoke about the All-Star game. I thought the focus should have been on winning some more games. It wasn't there. Uh, I'll be honest. It was not there. Uh, Smoke was doing his part. Everybody else, hate to say it, wasn't. Uh, not, you know, it's not for lack of trying. This is a long, long road ahead. It's a roller coaster season, so... Um, I guess in the roundabout uh, way, short answer to your question is no. I am not concerned about it. Speaking with Brent Cardi of the Cardi Show, on which you can find on iTunes and Podomatic, Brent, you brought up an interesting point related to Justin Smoke. Were you a little bit irritated by how the media campaign essentially put him over? Not that there should be anything wrong with fan support coming out and, and, and selecting a candidate that's deserving to go to the All-Star game, and there's no argument that Justin Smoke deserves to be there. But how do you feel about the fact that this baseball team is owned by a media company? doesn't scratch my head at all because the contributions were there for Smokey. It's well-deserved. You know, the media can back it up either way. Listen, Toronto baseball fans are smart. Um, you know, if they see a player that's having a great year, they're going to get behind them. 
you know, KC does it with all their guys. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I think it's the right, you know, I think it's the right thing to do. I mean, it's good to see actually the ownership and the media, you know, actually putting resources behind a baseball team and a baseball player, you know, for a long time, we didn't have that, you know, so especially yeah, when absolutely. that network paid uh, 24 billion for hockey rights. So, you know, I'm good with it. Yes. And, and having you remind me of what happened on the hockey side makes fans, I think, stop and realize that it all comes down to how much you're willing to invest, not only in the product on the field, but in how you obviously promote that product. And I'm wondering, moving forward now and seeing the way certain players respond at the All-Star Game as an exhibition uh, platform for success. And of course, yesterday, uh, Aaron Judge had his Vince Carter coming out moment. What are your thoughts on Aaron Judge? How do you view what he did yesterday and your thoughts about this ridiculously mercurial talent out of the Bronx? I think it's good for them. I mean, he's a big dude. And as Pat Talbert always says, big, strong guy with soft hands. Drives it the other way. Uh, he's a powerful powerful guy. He's a good outfielder. And the same with Gary Sanchez. It's going to be the same with Clint Fraser. You know, when you have that raw, young talent that uh, adjusts well to the major league level, and you combine them with Ellsbury, Holiday, um, Gardner, and, you know, you got Castro and Gregorius at the middle, you, you they're going to be just fine. I mean, the Yankees are going to be a contender. You know, I kind of think they're too, like the 2013 Boston Red Sox. They were underrated, maybe overlooked. So, I mean, we're going to see what the second half brings for the Bronx. Should be interesting. Before I let you go, Brent, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about your podcast, where they can find it, and what they should know when searching for the Brent Carty Show. All right, so it's the Carty Show. It's on iTunes. It's on Podomatic for the Android users. Uh, we got all the 2017 episodes up there, and, uh, you know, my next guest is going to be, he's kind of like a whiz kid, is uh, four years old. We're going to talk about uh, his expectations and how he's feeling about the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. His name is Blake, so uh, look for it to come out probably in about a week, a week and a half. Brent Carty joining the Jays Journal podcast. Thanks for your time today. Looking, looking forward to having you back, maybe for one of our roundtables. Thank you, Ari. I really appreciate it. All the best. My next guest is a fixture in the province of Ontario when it comes to broadcasting excellence. He's based out of London and can be found virtually every day of the week on CTV News. Norman James is on the podcast. Norman, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Sorry, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I want to talk some baseball with you, and uh, I'm excited. Well, you're, you're definitely at the right place, and, and I feel very, very privileged for having you on because, as we know, your MO was being a sportscaster. You still are at heart, but now you're, of course, mm-hmm. a big mainstream news media guy, and that's, mm-hmm. of course, extremely noteworthy in a country like this. For my listeners to appreciate how you would characterize the biggest difference in going from talking about sports all the time to actually having to talk about the, the consequences of real life, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, news comes across a little bit more formal, whereas Sports, it's a little more conversational. Um, it, it's clearly more informal. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, sports is sports. It, sometimes we lose perspective when it comes to losing the big game or winning the big game or when, you know, one group of fans is chirping another group of fans. We lose perspective. But when, when you compare it with some of the, you know, tragedy that you deal with on a, almost a daily basis in mm. the news realm, you have to put sports in perspective and realize that, you uh, it, it really is just a game. And when you go from being in that kind of novel setting to one that uh, deals with real life, um, you know, it, it hits you pretty fast. But I started out in the news years ago, and I'm not one of those people who was totally fixated on the world of sports and everything else was shut out. I'm a guy who was a bit of a hybrid when it 
comes to you know all of the information that hit you on a daily basis. So I would go to ESPN, TSN, uh, CNN, MSNBC, CBC, uh, CTV, of course. So I would take it all in. And now that I'm doing news, I mean, it's out of necessity, out of survival in this industry. But, you know, I have a sports heart um, and a new sensibility now. But the, the big difference between the two is that, you know, one, we're talking about something that would, you know, is almost fantasy. Uh, it, it's fun. It's novel. And the other is real life and can get yeah. pretty serious real quick. Yep. And the way you've described it, it sounds like you're now like the five tool equivalent of a journalist, not just, a, you know, when you talk about five tool baseball players, you just described a five tool journalist having to adjust like that. Mm, I started out uh, 99 and I came into an era where the industry was beginning to um, pare itself down, beginning to yeah. downsize. So when a photographer, a producer, a reporter would go out to a story uh, before, say, you know, the mid-90s, and when I came in, it was now a videographer who was doing everything. So mm. I came into an industry that was uh, evolving, changing, downsizing, and I've had the pleasure to do just about everything uh, that you would consider uh, encompassed in media and storytelling. So anchoring news is kind of like the, you know, cherry on top. It's the icing on yeah. the cake, and I- I'm really privileged to do it. Now, as someone who has his pulse on baseball news, the whole ebb and flow of noteworthy sports moments pretty much across North America, given the kind of affiliation you have, what are your initial thoughts about this 2017 Blue Jays team, and what conclusions have you reached from watching them during the first half? Well, when you dig yourself a hole to start the season, you know, I, I don't care if you can overcome it practically. Uh, mentally, it, it takes a bit of a toll, and, you know... Go back to 2015. You had a feeling that the Jays were going to emerge. The team was going to bust out. Last year, there was just so much talent there, and they had the experience of the ALCS the year prior, and you felt like they were going to grind it out and and get to the postseason. Now, you're looking at an AL East that's a lot more competitive. Uh, You know, I don't care if Baltimore is having some troubles and if Tampa goes up and down. It's, It's not easy for any team in the AL East to play against their divisional peers. So, Things have become more difficult for the Blue Jays. They've made it more difficult on themselves. And just the way this team is is playing, you don't get any sort of a sense that, uh, you know, a 10-15 game win streak is on the horizon. And let's be honest, Ari, that is what the Jays are going to really need to to get out of the, you know, the phase they're in right now, move past 500 and get into a situation where they're, you know, battling with the best of the division and the American League. You know, you have to... Just because you feel like the team needs to do a reset or a bit of a retool, a reorganization, doesn't mean you don't love what you're seeing. You want the team to compete and do well, but based on everything that we've witnessed so far this season, I don't know how many people can tell me that you know this team is just basically at the gate, ready to, to bust out and go on a crazy run. It just it just hasn't happened so far this year, and you know I don't. I don't see this team doing much more than, you know, maybe 82, 83 wins, and that's certainly not going to cut it. And that's not to denigrate the group or anything like Mm -hmm. that. It just doesn't feel like it's going to happen this year. They've missed some of the big hits. They're not hitting the big home runs like they need to. Um, You know, there are still strikeouts. The the pitching has been up and down. And, you know, it might be a time to look in the mirror and not completely blow it up, but, you know, maybe you have to move a couple of guys out to, to reorganize for the years to come. I'm speaking with Norman James of CTV News. So, Norman, let's pretend for a moment, if you would love to suspend your 
disbelief of, let's say, me giving you the powers to be the general manager. I make you the GM of this team. You put on your hat. What would you do now? What, what would be your next course of action that you think would get over this mentality that we're stuck in, this curiosity of what the next step will be? Which direction would you take the good ship, Blue Jay? Um, look, there's a lot of capital built up between the team and the fan base. So Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins are going to have to tread lightly here. But um, if you're thinking about, you know, the long-term sustainability and this team to be not only competitive but uh, contend on a, on a yearly basis, if you have the opportunity to move a couple of players to bring back some, you know, not – single A players, but some players who are knocking at the door, or even some young major leaguers, you have to look at it. I mean, this team does have mm. some older players. It's not a very fast team. I mean, it was built to hit home runs. It was built to, you know, shove it down your throat. And now you're seeing a lot of their divisional peers doing the exact same thing. And, and, you know, the, the Blue Jays just don't seem to have that magic this year. Um, so, you know, you would, you would explore some, some, you know, uh, trade potential, um, and if, if something works out, then, and then maybe you do it, but you're, you're stuck with the big contracts like Tulowitzki's. Uh, Josh Donaldson could get you something, but, you know, that's, that's like the heartbeat of the team, and, and you, you know, you have to weigh out um, what the optics of a, of a deal like that might be. But if it does uh, help your team and, and you, you, know, you can project that what you would bring back would, would, it, would be a real asset for the organization for, for the long term, then that might be something that you, you have to entertain and a fan base has to swallow it. They have to realize that, you know, this is, uh, it, it's not about the, the big splash on, on one or two seasons. It's about trying to be competitive uh, for the foreseeable future. And if it requires you sending out one of your top players in order to bring back future players, then you've got to go for it. So that's really interesting to me because your last point, especially, about long-term planning and effectively building a champion, which we're now witnessing is very much the blueprint that the Toronto Maple Leafs are attempting to do, mm-hmm. notwithstanding, notwithstanding the Marlowe acquisition and whatever interpretation people have of that. The, the Maple Leafs have a long-term plan. The Blue Jays have the kind of president who clearly is interested in looking at a long-term option as well as a GM. At what point does this team really become Mark Shapiro's team as opposed to being a hybrid of many contracts and, as you described, resources that they have, which mm-hmm. are the result of the previous regime? When does that line eventually get drawn where the fans can say, hey, we're all in with your vision? Because clearly that's not happened yet. So what needs to happen mm-hmm. for Mark Shapiro to get the fans' mandate so that 12,000 people don't show up in September because Josh Donaldson's not a Blue Jay? I don't think he sets a milestone, Ari. I think it's just uh, organic, you know, one deal after the next, and at some point down the yeah, line, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll look at the transactions, we'll look at the way the organization has grown, uh, you know, the assets, the pieces, and we'll say, you know what, um, there aren't too many remnants of the Anthopolis era, and this really does look like it's the Shapiro Atkins, um, you know, group that you know they would, you know, they have clearly wanted to build. I don't think they're looking at this team and saying, well, you know, X guy and X guy, these, these, this is part of the old regime. Let's see if we can move them out so we can bring our own people in. Um, they're, they're just trying to, uh, right now, it seems like they're just trying to tread water to, to get to a point where they, you know, have to make some decisions. Let's, let's be honest, too, though. You know, a lot of Blue Jay fans, like, the, you know, the extra 25,000 who are there, 
um, you know, I don't want to call them Fairweather fans, but, you know, they are, you know, a lot of them are new fans. A lot of them are casual yeah. fans. And there really is nothing wrong with that. You know, Toronto is a, Toronto's a dynamic city with a lot going on. It's not one of those uh, tribal kind of towns that just, you know, really locks into to a team and is with them through thick and thin. I mean, you have to fight for, for people's attention, for, for people's interest and their love and affection. So while the Blue Jays have done that over the past few seasons, they have to be careful that they don't do anything that um, appears to, um, to, to look like, you know, you're taking a wrecking ball to an organization mm-hmm. and that it's going to be another five to seven year climb back to the top. So these guys have to be careful about what they do. Uh, but clearly the team they have right now is, is, does not look like it's going to be a team that can go on any sort of a sustained uh, run of competitiveness or contendership over the next several seasons. They do have several pieces who can mm-hmm. be a part of that next crew. Uh, but I, I believe it's, it's going to take a bit of a reorganization. And, you know, you, 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 they've got to weigh out the, uh, the possibilities and the probabilities as, as we go through the next few weeks here. Do they really believe that this team can get back into the race and, you know, keep it interesting down to the last, a week or so, if that's what they think, um, you know, maybe they go out and pick up somebody uh, or grab somebody off a waiver, waiver wire and, and, and try to augment the team that way and, you know, just try to keep people in it. Or, you know, if they believe that they can move out a big asset for, for something that can help the team in, in the seasons to come, then, you know, that's why Mark Shapiro was brought in here. He's got to make some tough decisions. And I really don't think that he's going to face any scrutiny or, you know, any uh, volatility as, 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 as as impactful or as mm-hmm. uh, you know, serious as what he faced when he got here. There were a lot of people who didn't like him and, you know, he's kind of slid under the radar. So no matter yeah. what kind of wrath he takes going forward, and I don't think it's going to compare to what he dealt with earlier. And I, I don't think a lot of the criticism he, he got when he first arrived was warranted, but you know what? That's why you're the top guy. Yeah. You got to make the big decision. I agree with you. There was uh, a tremendous amount of hostility when he arrived, albeit, one couldn't blame the fan base and reacting that way after the way Anthopolis uh, departed. And the fact also that he inherited a pretty good baseball club, which is always a great thing when you come to a new uh, city and become the president of a new organization to actually inherit one that's coming off of a division title. But certainly, mm-hmm. certainly time will tell and we'll see how, how this all pans out over the next few weeks. I want to ask you, Norman, about the All-Star game. It's gone back to being a pure exhibition event as opposed to all that World Series home team advantage nonsense. How do you compare Mm -hmm. the Major League Baseball version of fan appreciation to other sports like hockey or basketball? Like, let's say, what the NBA or NHL does. Where do you put the baseball all-star game in terms of fan appreciation and fan satisfaction? Listen, I've never really been a big fan of any mid-season classic, if you want to call it that. Um, I, I do remember when Fred Lynn hit a, a grand slam in the All-Star game, what, 82? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was, that was when, you know, that's when I was really starting to fall in love with baseball, living in, in Cabbage Town. And, uh, you know, I, re- I remember that. And obviously Bo Jackson off of Rick Russell or somebody like that, I forget, he gets to hit a camera. Um, you know, that was certainly a, a lot of fun. And then um, it was it Frank Thomas drove in a winning run in 94? So, you know, again, my, my memory is not too great with these All-Star games because I haven't really cared all that much. I, I did like the concept of, of, of the two leagues going at it for the right to have home field advantage, at least for a while. But as we know in, in sports, uh, especially with a, a game like this, it's basically a showcase, no matter the sport, leagues are willing to change things up, change the procedure, uh, change the concepts in order to 
placate the fans uh, and or to, to entertain the fans. So, you know, um, and we've seen it with the Home Run Derby and, and the, you know, various uh, processes they go through, the, you know, the, the, the way they've changed up, you know, how you hit the home runs, how, how long you have. And so I think it's, it's fine. Um, just going back to a general showcase now, you know, it's six of one, half dozen of the other, Ari. I, I really don't care too much. Uh, you know, the NBA has a, a thing going because they have a lot of the celebrities hanging out. And it's such an intimate sport because you have people yeah. basically feet away from, from the athletes they're watching. So, you know, I don't know. My, my, my kids want to see some of the, the stars playing. They want to see Justin Smoke playing. They want to see if Osuna gets in the game. That's, that's all fine and dandy. But other than that, I don't really put too much stock or even thought or you know, effort into um, weighing too much about these uh, all-star games. I'm, I'm not that big on them. I just kind of like to see them get over with so we can get back to the real stuff. I'm speaking with Norman James of CTV News. I really want to switch gears on you and ask you this question, Norman, because I, I, I'm curious about your opinion. Um, back in March of this year, CTV News London did away with their coverage of all local sports. And all across the CTV Bell Media-owned stations, it was like a, a tidal wave, if you will. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on the changing nature of sports journalism over the past few years, um, including how it's gone from being a, a highly specialized component of, let's say, a daily viewer's consumption to this more internet streaming, clickbait-oriented medium that it seems to have become? That's just where we're going, Ari. That's, that's just the way things are. I'm watching this uh, series on CNN, the 90s, uh, the 80s before that. Yeah. I mean, you can see, you can see you know, when the Internet broke in and, and, and how big a deal that was. I, I remember it. You know, there used to be a time when uh, classrooms had one computer, and then you'd have to go to a computer room. And then you know, now people have computers, they have tablets, they have laptops. It's, Things are more instantaneous now, and it's it's a it's a it's a different world. People who are um, devoted to conventional television, conventional broadcast, are are, are a you know a dying breed. And, and I, I say that with all due respect, because you have a lot of people who are just kind of locked into their uh, routine, and uh, part of their routine is watching television on a nightly basis. But the, the younger, uh, you know, younger demographic, um, a lot of them didn't grow up watching watching television a lot of them went back to the room and they were on their computer or their tablets and when you can get everything that you need in terms of information uh, in terms of culture in terms of interaction um you know in, ter- in terms of you know uh, advancing yourself socially on on your laptop or, or your tablet or your ipad that's what you're going to do and you know a lot of conventional tv stations a lot of conventional media are finding it extremely difficult almost like a losing battle to you know, to try to wade through this new world and, and continue to stay relevant. So, um, you know, as much as losing the sports department was a, a real, you know, a real kick in the teeth um, from, uh, from a business perspective, paring down the operations nationwide was something they felt like they had to do. And, you know, for me, I had the opportunity to either go, go somewhere else or stay on. And I chose to stay on because, you know, there are a lot of factors, but another one was just trying to, uh, you know, add a, a new element to my broadcast career as a, as a newscaster and, you know, having a lot of fun with it. And, and London is a pretty good news town. And, and uh, you know, I still feel like I have something to give. And, and that's what I'm trying to do on a daily basis. But, you know, no matter who knows me from either a news, uh, you know, a news standpoint or from my days in sports, people know I, you know, have that sports heart because I've created a, a bit of an image and, um, you know, a, a bit of a status as somebody in sports. And I'll always have that no matter where I go next.
So what advice would you then give to someone who's an aspiring journalist, wants to become a sportscaster, essentially trying to make it in what you've described as an increasingly competitive Canadian sports market? What advice would you Mm -hmm. offer somebody, especially someone who's younger coming out of school? Mm. That's a tough one. Um, All all I would tell anybody who wants to get into broadcasting is just tell stories, get involved, um, network. If you can go work at a community access station and, and learn how to shoot and, and do some stories for their, you know, uh, weekly gazette, um, go ahead and do that. Uh, you know, I know everybody wants to start a podcast. Everybody wants to start a blog, but you have to be careful that, you know, you're, you're, you're not doing it with the intention of, of generating a lot of buzz right out of the gate because there are a dime a dozen now. And what's, what's important is that you have some perspective, uh, you know, when you are, you know, um, on these endeavors, whether they be, you know, like I said, blogs or podcasts, you have to realize a lot of it uh, ha- is, has to do with generating some experience for yourself. And, you know, I just think networking and doing anything you possibly can is the key. Um, again, I came up in an era where conventional TV had a lot more, you know, just there was a lot more, uh, there was a lot more emphasis on it back when I started. So getting involved was, was key through, you know, community access TV. Now you have everybody on their, on their iPhones or, or their smartphones or whatever, and they want to, they all want to be reporters. They all want to get involved in the game. So it's, it's, it's extremely difficult, but I, I would just say that you have to keep reaching out, keep making contact, do whatever you can in terms of writing for a, you know, a website or volunteering and and just gain experience that way and when something comes up and who knows maybe some of these organizations create departments that um you know they feel are will be able to to tackle and and conquer the the new the new media world then you might give yourself a chance but experience is very key and you can develop that your your experience on your own his name is norman james and he's the best kind of Canadian newscaster and a true sportscaster at heart. Follow him on at Norman James CTV and be sure to check him out on CTV News. Norman, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. An absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Ari. Great podcast.